Hey everybody, it's JT. What is on your holiday meal shopping list? Well, I would suggest Painted Hills Natural Beef. It is some of the best beef in the world. And your friends and family will be thanking you for a long time if you serve Painted Hills Natural Beef for your holiday meals. And now you can buy it online just by going to PaintedHillsBeef.com. Use the code BBQNATION at checkout and save yourself 15% on your order. Give Painted Hills Natural Beef a place on your table this holiday season. This is Barbecue Nation After Hours, the conversation that took place after the show ended. Hey everybody, it's JT, and this is a special version of Barbecue Nation. It is brought to you in part by Painted Hills Natural Beef. Beef you can be proud to serve your family and friends. That's Painted Hills Natural Beef. Hey everybody, welcome to After Hours here on Barbecue Nation. This is the part of the show where we can actually, you know, spit, scratch, and swear, and we won't get in trouble for it because this goes out. We can on... swear. Yeah, we can swear. We can swear all what you want. What the fuck? I didn't know that. Yeah, we can do that. <laughs> so okay, we were doing some questions from some of the listeners and friends of the show, and so let me pull this up here because I want to. I want to read it to you. Uh, where it is? Oh, here it is. Okay. It says, uh, I think the thing I'd like to ask is there are tons of styles of barbecue, depending on where, on what part of the country you're located in. Mm-hmm. What wine would pair the best with various styles, like St. Louis versus Carolina versus Texas, uh, mm. like that. So, uh, and this lady, this is Michelle, and she she actually works in the wine business. It says so on the bottom of her email here. And uh-huh. so um, let me throw a couple at you, and then you can go out. Now, in all fairness, we've never talked too much about it, but Meathead used to, uh, well, he started a wine magazine, and he was a food columnist for uh, Washington Post and Chicago Trib and other things and, you know, started all that and did that. So he was a wine guy. I was time. the wine critic for three years for the Washington Post, and then for three years at the Chicago Tribune, syndicated multiple newspapers, and uh, I started a magazine called International Wine Review and founded a company called Beverage Testing Institute, which is still around doing great work. Uh, so I, I have some barbecue chops, and I have some wine chops. There you uh, go. So let's test uh, your wine chops. If you're talking about Carolina style, which is kind of a vinegary Carolina style is really more about the sauce and the flavor than the style of cooking to me. But what, well, let's, let's take this from the 30,000 foot. Uh, and, and Michelle probably understands this very well. Um, when pairing food and wine or food and drink beer and cocktails as well, you want to figure out what's the dominant flavor. Right. Um, and for example, you mentioned Carolina. Now we'll skip the um, South Carolina mustard sauce for just a minute. But um, if you're talking about your North Carolina, um, all the way down into Georgia, where the, the the sauces tend to be very vinegary, and and places of the North Carolina, it's almost all vinegar. That's your dominant flavor. Um, you've also got a lot of fat um, because they're doing pork shoulder or whole hog, and there can be a lot of fat. So um, the reason they use the vinegar sauce is it's very good at cutting the fat. Um, And so I will look for something that will 
either complement or contrast the, the dominant flavor. Sure. So, for example, if you're going to wear brown pants, you can wear either um, a, a tan shirt or a yellow shirt. You can complement it or contrast it. Um, the same thing with food. Um, so with a vinegary sauce, I might like to have something a little sweet. Um, and for that, things like Moscato grape-based, um, uh, Prosecco, Asti Sfamanti, um, uh, the California Moscatos, um, a, uh, a Riesling, uh, a Cabinet or a Spätlaser Riesling, which have a little bit of sweetness. They do a good job of balancing out the high acid. Um, uh, of course, a beer, um, a, uh, a, a rich beer, a brown ale, or uh, uh, maybe even a porter, uh, something like that, uh, to uh, balance out the acidity. So you look for the dominant flavor. Uh, most American barbecue, especially pork barbecue, gets that Kansas City red sauce, um, and that's sweet. Um, and so, but it's also very big and rich. So um, look for something to counter that. And typically, I would lean towards a red wine, um, maybe, um, uh, but nothing that's too tannic. Uh, so perhaps a um, a gamay. Or uh, uh, maybe a uh, um, uh, a, a Beaujolais, uh, a, a lighter Zinfandel, something like that, or even a rosé. Um, I've been drinking Alexander Valley Vineyard Sangiovese rosé lately, and uh, it works really nicely with barbecue uh, with the red sauce. So that's my guidance. There is um, complement or contrast with the dominant flavor. And I think this goes beyond barbecue. If you've got a roast chicken with a lot of herbs in it, um, you perhaps want to go with something complements it like a Sauvignon Blanc, which is herbaceous. Sounds really good to me. I'm, I'm, you can take over the rest of the show. I'm going downstairs and get, uh... <laughs> well, you know, one, one of the reasons you like me as a guest, I know is because you just wind me up and sit back. <laughs> <laughs> Get out of the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let me ask you something for somebody that's not a connoisseur of wine. You listed off a lot of different wines there, and they're all good. I've had, I think, probably all of them, at least in one small quantity or another. At once, too. At, at once, yeah, one sitting. But when you go, and we kind of started, like you said, at 30,000 feet, and we were talking about the Carolinas. What happens when you move to Texas? And it's really, Texas barbecue to me and that this is not a criticism of it, but it's heavier. Okay. There's, there's, well, it's, it's, it's about the meat. Yeah. It's, it's um, the meat. There's very little sauce in Texas. Um, I mean, it's, well, you know, barbecue is becoming, um, uh, universalized. Um, and there are barbecue joints in Texas that serve your classic Kansas city style, sweet red sauce, but your traditional, your classic, your meat market barbecue joints in Texas are beef centric. They do serve pork ribs and other cuts of pork, but it, you know, it's brisket and beef ribs and, 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 and sausages and stuff. Um, the Trinity, uh, and, uh, of sausage, um, brisket and, uh, ribs. But, um, 
the seasonings there tend to be just salt and pepper. Right. They call it Dalmatian, black and white. Um, and maybe they'll put some other things on there. But the, the whole key to Texas, the great Texas barbecue, is don't get in the way of the meat. Let the meat shine. Right. Um, show how you know how to handle the meat, that you can that you can take meat and not monkey it up and just let the meat show off. So in those cases, particularly since those meats tend to be fatty, um, I'm, I'm, I'm going for, you know, classic red wines that go with beef, uh, your Cabernets, your Merlots, your sure. Pinot Noir, um, and uh, they're just fantastic with Texas barbecue. I'm thinking Kansas City beer. <laughs> You know, I, I because Kansas City it is so predominant, especially with their sauce. You know, we we yeah. we talked about it in the regular in the other show. You know, it's a Kansas City style barbecue sauce. It's kind of sweet. Uh, it they use it on everything, which is fine. That's great. I'm not complaining about that. But to me, I'm thinking when you've got something like that with that much sauce on it, uh. To me, it's probably more beer than it is wine. But I agree. Yeah, I agree. Um, it, it's very refreshing. All forms of bubblies, even champagne, they do a great job of cleansing the palate. I mean, I think the best wine food combos are when the wine clears the palate. So, I mean, if you take a bite of smoked chicken, you're going to get a lot of fatty from the skin and you're going to get a lot of smoke flavor and maybe some herbs or whatever else is on there. And your mouth then gets coated with the fat and the, the smoky flavor. And um, the next bite isn't as rich and powerful as the first one because your taste buds are in some fashion impaired. So now you reach over and you grab, grab a glass of a good crisp, sharp Sauvignon Blanc or maybe even a Muscadet. Um, which is very acidic, and you take a slug of that, and it's like brushing your teeth. It cleanses the palate so that your next bite of chicken is just like the first bite. It's powerful. Sure. It's strong. So you're, 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 you're alternating between food and drink, food and drink, and you're cleansing your palate in between. That's a great concept. Oh, absolutely. And I've never met a concept that involved uh, alcohol that I didn't like. You know, <laughs> so uh, just saying out there, folks, just saying. So what is Meathead, the Meathead household going to uh, be cooking for the fourth coming up here? I know you're going to uh, do ribs. ribs. Do pork ribs. Um, it's It's been a tradition around here every year except last fourth of July. Um, we invite my wife's family. We have a, a fairly large Italian-American family here in Chicago that uh, uh, quite a large, large number of them. My family is in Florida, and it's much smaller. Um, and uh, we uh, we have the gang over, and uh, some of the neighbors and friends, and usually, you know, twenty to thirty people, depending on uh, who's going to whose house for this year, and sure. uh, what the weather is like. It usually gets pretty hot around here, and uh, I'll I'll have uh, uh, classic. Um, Barbecue ribs with uh, Kansas City style sauce. There you go. And I, I make a mess of them. Uh, I also grill up some uh, uh, chicken legs. Uh, there are a couple of people who don't like pork, 
and uh, then, of course, some hot dogs for the kids. Yeah, you know, the old fact of <clears throat> there's 150 million hot dogs served on the 4th of July. They keep using that number, and that may be true. I don't know, but I do know, <clears throat> excuse me, that if you go to one of our local grocery stores, and like the 4th is on a Sunday this year, and if you get there Saturday and you're looking to try to find three racks of ribs that are kind of balanced, you know, the, when I say balanced, I don't mean they look the same. I mean, you know that those three racks of ribs are going to feed the amount of people that are coming to your home. You might not find them. They may be gone already, you know, yeah. and they can't get. Uh, they always overstock. I know that, but I have been to a few stores where you go in there the day before the fourth, and it's slim pickings. Yeah, so yeah. to speak. Well, this year may be even weirder because we're experiencing all kinds of supply chain issues out there. Um, everything from uh, lumber to uh, foodstuffs. So, uh, yeah, I plan to get down there uh, um, the week before the fourth and buy all my ribs, and uh, I'll probably buy them frozen and uh, stash them here and then defrost them a few days beforehand to make sure that uh, I don't get caught shorthanded. Now, is Chicago and that part of Illinois open? I mean, from the COVID crap and all that? Yeah. Um, the, Illinois is in phase five, which is wide open now. Um, we've been very fortunate. Uh, the, um, uh, the number of deaths, um, and, uh, I mean, I don't want to make it, uh, no, I diminish it, but it was only two people died yesterday. Um, so in this, I think that's statewide. Um, that's a pretty low number. We are getting a high vaccination rate here. Um, and, uh, the hospitals are reporting that, uh, uh everybody in the COVID wards are people who haven't been vaccinated. Oh. Um, so, uh, uh, yeah. yeah, we're 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 back in business here. Yeah, we pretty much are here too. I mean, there's still some small limitations county by county. Most of our counties are wide open. Uh here in the metro area, there's still some li light limitations on a couple of the counties, highly populated. And that all has to do with the vaccination rate. Um, and they're really pushing that hell. They've got uh, lottery gifts now that if you get vaccinated, you're automatically entered into the lottery. And they yeah, I mean, if I'm, if I'm not vaccinated and I'm thinking, well, should I get vaccinated or not? If I don't, I could die. But if I do, I might win a lottery. Oh, yeah. I better get vaccinated. Yeah. You better get vaccinated. <laughs> I mean, what? You really need, you really need an incentive. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I get it. I get it. Uh, you know, I, I, I you know, it, it, to many people, it's a political issue. And I don't normally step into the political discussions, but um, uh, vaccines have been around for many, many decades. Um, uh, they're this particular set of vaccines. It, people think it was developed in a rush, but they had been working on this uh, coronavirus type vaccine. For years, it was just focused on this particular strain of, of coronavirus that allowed them to bring it to market so quickly. There have been very, very few complications. And as I said, everybody in the hospital is there because they weren't vaccinated. Right. Everybody who dies 
dies because they weren't vaccinated. I know that younger people seem to be less susceptible, but this new variant that's traveling around out there is pretty aggressive and pretty nasty, and it's taking over. And um, I know I keep reading about people who say um, they're they're studying it. Well, if you're studying it on Facebook or Twitter or something, <laughs> you're not studying it. Um, the I, I know that the CDC did not distinguish themselves in the early days of the vaccine. Um, and I know that, they, they, but they, this is an organization that in general has been sterling and reliable and I think has made enough changes that they can be trusted. My wife is a PhD microbiologist um, and uh, uh, we got our vaccine as quickly as possible. Well, and I got news for the, well, you said a statement just, you know, four sentences ago that said younger people don't seem to be affected. Here's the news for you. Younger people, you get old like me and meathead eventually, mm. and then you do get affected by crap. So pay attention. Well, <laughs> not only that, but what we're learning now is there are these people called long haulers and you may think it's just like the flu. And so you're going to be laid up for three or four days. Well, you talk to somebody who's had this, and they say it's not just three or four days. In general, it's a week or more, and it's really difficult. It's really painful. It can cause tremendous breathing problems. And when it's over, um, it's not necessarily over. There are people who have lost their sense of smell and taste, yeah. who have ongoing respiratory issues. Um, uh, we're way off the topic of barbecue, but, uh, it's relevant. Um, it's no, relevant. everybody in my family has gotten their shots and they are welcome in my home. Yeah. We've got, um, a friend of mine and I know you're not a, a golf guy, but a friend of mine, Charlie Reimer, who worked at the golf channel for a long time and he was on tour years ago. And now he does a show called the Charlie Reimer show on CBS, uh, sports network. Charlie got that stuff last year. His wife's are RN and it damn near took him. And uh, Charlie's a big guy, healthy guy, you know? Um, I mean, he likes a beer once in a while and all that, but he's, he doesn't do stupid stuff. And um, for, uh, you know, he's a big boy, but he was always pretty healthy, pretty good shape and all that. And, we talked to him a couple months ago when he was talking about how it, he just, he just went off the radar. And finally I got a text from him one day saying, sorry, I haven't, haven't responded to you, but he said, I was in the hospital for two or three weeks and he was on a respirator. They didn't think he was going to get off of it, that type of thing. So uh, it's serious. It's serious. Anyway. Uh, yeah, we, we had a member of our family who got it. And uh, she was laid up for two weeks. She said she every more every day she thought she was going to die. Yep. She didn't go to the hospital and get on a respirator. They treated her at home. She felt like hell, and that was six eight months ago. And she's still having after effects. Yeah. She's still having problems. Um, so you know, um, aside from all of the risk to yourself, there is the risk to you, your family, your others. Um, uh, if you get a very mild case, 
you're still carrying the virus. Right. And you can easily give it to someone else and they could die. Okay. So let's jump. That would be, that would be something that would be, you know, pretty hard for me to handle knowing that I gave it to somebody who died or got very, very sick. I'd feel pretty bad about it. I would too. I really would too. Um, Let's wrap, let's wrap this up with one last, um, I don't want to say question, but a little topic, barbecue topic. And I get this all the time, and I know you do too. What's the best way to cook a steak? Now, we've talked about ribs, and you've heard us talk about hot dogs and sausages and, and you know, pork butts and stuff over all these different conversations that Meathead and I have had. And we've talked about steaks, but there are some people that want to grill steaks on the 4th of July. Oh, yeah. You yeah. Know? And um, I want the I want the meathead's best best steak <laughs> stuff. Well, it's easy. Um, you you start with a good steak. Um, you you just can't go down to the grocery store and grab any old thing out of the glass case. Um, you have to think a little bit about this. If you can get USDA choice, which is one of the upper grades, or USDA prime. Now, prime beef is a grade of beef that used to be available only to restaurants. But there's more and more of it on the market now, and you can get it in some select premium grocers. You can even get Wagyu, which is a different breed of beef that is um, uh, highly marbled. Um, uh, you, You can go for that. Um, but you want to get a good grade of beef to start with. And, um, if we're talking about steak, there are many different steaks. There's flank steak, which you cook entirely differently than you would cook a ribeye. Right. Um, but let's focus primarily on ribeye or strip steak. They both come from that long slender muscle that runs along the spine, called the longissimus dorsi. There's two of them, one on either side. You have them. When you take off your shirt, that's that long muscle that runs along the spine, and um, uh, that's where the ribeye and the strip come from. And um, they're excellent pieces of meat. And how you cook it depends on, and we talked about this in the first part of the show on the air, the thickness of the meat. If it's an inch or less, well, let, all right, let me back up just a bit. There are two things towards a great steak. One is you want a dark crust. You want a dark surface that has lots of flavor. When the surface turns dark, it's a chemical reaction called the Maillard reaction, and it comes about when the energy changes the structure of the proteins and the amino acids and gives them a, a more flavor, and you want that dark crust. And you don't want just stripes of it, grill marks. You want as much of that surface dark brown as you can get. You bet. Okay, that's the one part. The next part is is the interior of the meat. You don't want that dark brown. If that's dark brown, then it's overcooked and it's dry. You want it in the 130 to 135 degree range, um, and that's medium rare. And at that temperature, we know machines can test that it is its most tender and its most juicy. And they have machines that can test how tender meat is and how juicy it is. And now if that's a little too pink for you or a little too red, it's rosy colored, 
uh, first of all, people who are afraid of rare to medium rare meat are usually operating under the misimpression that it's because it's bloody. There's no blood left in that steak. All the blood has been removed. That's just the natural color of the muscle. And it's from a protein called myoglobin. And don't worry about it. There's no blood in there. So you're not being a vampire when you eat a pink <laughs> or rosy-colored steak. So that at 130, 135 degrees in the center with an instant-read thermometer is your goal for the middle, dark brown on the edges. Now, if you've got something under one inch thick, then the best way to get there is hot and fast. Um, get your grill as hot as humanly possible and cook it directly over infrared energy or flame or coals. If you've got a charcoal grill, stack the coals up as close to the cooking surface as you can because the closer it is, the hotter or more radiation the meat's going to get. And you want to flip it often. You want to flip often so that when you turn it over, the energy that's built up on the surface will bleed off into the atmosphere rather than push down towards the center. On a thin stake under an inch, um, you can easily get what we call the rainbow effect, a dark surface, a layer of brown, a layer of tan, a layer of pink, and then finally a layer of medium rare rosy color in the center. But if you flip, 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 the energy built up in the surface, when you flip it, will bleed off into the atmosphere so you won't get um, overcooked in the center. And I know that goes against everything you were told, but that's what people were telling you before they understood meat science. Um, flip it often um, and cook it with the lid open if you're doing a, a thin steak so that when you flip it, the energy will bleed off. If the lid's down, you now have an oven, and it's going to cook the interior too much. Now, if you have a steak that's thicker than an inch, like an inch and a half to two inches, you're going to do what I call reverse sear, and you're going to start it in the indirect zone and gently warm it. Um, and you're going to warm it at about 225 in the indirect zone, and that's going to give you a nice even temperature throughout. And when it gets to about 120, 125 internal temperature, then you're going to move it over to the infrared side. You're going to lift the lid, and now you're going to flip, 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 flip. You'll have this beautiful interior that, that settles in at around 130 to 135 that is uniform in color and, uh, and temperature, and you'll get your dark, dark exterior from the infrared by flip, 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 um, and that's the reverse sear. So a th you cook a thin steak differently than a thick steak. Um, here's a little, <clears throat> little footnote. Um, as you know, and you do this with corn cobs, I do it with the myoglobin. I'll put that myoglobin on a baked potato. Uh, it's really good. So what you know when you put the you pull them off, you put them on the tray, and as you're serving them, there's some uh, the myoglobin juice left on the tray. I grab that. I've actually been known to drink it when it's just me and my wife, and oh, yeah. she's looking the other it's, way. It's, it's just pink water. Yeah, but and, if you you know people will say, would you like some blood on your uh, you know, after <laughs> you carve it? It's on the cutting board. If it were blood. It would be very dark, just like your blood. Yep. Um, it would be very thick, just like your blood. And if it sat exposed to air for any amount of time, it would coagulate, just like your blood. Right. 
It's not blood. It's pink. It's watery. It runs. It never coagulates. It's just pink water, and it gets its pink from the myoglobin that gives the meat its natural pink color. And it, and it tastes good if you've seasoned your steak properly. I'm just yeah, it's got a lot it. of flavor in it. Yeah, absolutely. Meat, Ed, it is. Yeah, you put it on the on the, on the the baked potatoes and the mashed potatoes. Yep. I, I just try to mop it up with the meat on the end of the fork. Uh, it, it, it does come out of the meat when you when you slice it. Sure. And I just run the meat around in it, and it goes right back up into the meat. Yeah, no, it's all good. Uh, as always, um, it's been great. It has just been great. And I think this is a great show and we'll continue. Always fun talking to you. We'll, um, we'll do some more questions from our listeners on the next show with you. Okay. That'd be great. It will. Uh, that's going to wrap it for Meathead and I on this version of After Hours. We hope you enjoy your 4th of July weekend. And uh, as I tried to tell people these days, please be kind to somebody out there. Um, it, you know, kind of helps anyway, from the turn it, don't burn it studios. I'm JT with meathead. Have a good 4th of July, everybody.